0: Father, you always amaze me Let your kingdom come in my world and in my life Give me the food I need to live through today And forgive me as I forgive the people that wrong Lead me far from temptation. Deliver me from the evil one. Alright, if you have a Bible, you can go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we've been hanging out there for quite a while. If you've been around the last... um, Five weeks, you know that we've been walking through a series called Our Father. And uh, if you're new to City Church, welcome. My name's Justin. I'm uh, the lead pastor here and, and one of the leaders. And uh, we've been walking through this journey of really examining and looking and applying the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And the uh, kind of the big theme that we've been emphasizing again and again and again week after week is that this prayer is not just a mantra to be repeated, right? Maybe when you were a kid, you learned the prayer and it kind of had a rhythm to it and you said it again and again, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. You kind of cranked the prayer out, but what we've been kind of pulling apart is that this prayer doesn't do you any good to just rapidly recite it. That's not the essence of the prayer, but it's the substance of each phrase in the prayer that radically transforms the way you and I interact with God and we started with this idea of father that the idea of God as father really is the foundation for all of our interaction with him and that we find our identity through the words that he has spoken over us Whew, that's good I could just i like preach that one again I'm like still excited about that one and then we looked at this idea of your kingdom come your will be done and how you and I have a partnership with God a partnership where he has enabled you by Christ as a follower of Jesus. To use your words to actually transfer heaven to earth. And that's why he asked us to pray, your kingdom come and your will be done. And so we talked about praying active prayers, about circling the things in your life that are not his kingdom and asking him to come into those things on earth as is in heaven. So big prayers, that are not based on self, but based on his kingdom and his will. You guys remember that? And then we talked two weeks ago about this phrase, give us this day our daily bread. And I made this statement that brave daily dependence unlocks supernatural provision in our lives. In other words, that when you trust Him fully and you depend upon Him, that dependence articulated in prayer is actually the thing that opens up His supernatural provision. Then last week we looked at forgive us our debts. And listen, if you, if God spoke to you last week and you need to forgive someone and you haven't done it yet, Today is your day. If you need to right now say, I forgive that person, maybe you need to write them a letter, write them an email, call them. Or if you need to ask for forgiveness, if you haven't acted on what God spoke to you last week, I want to press you again. Now is the time. Make sure that you act on it. We said that those who know grace must show grace, right? And I use the illustration of, of, uh, you know, heating your home with radio floor heating where every aspect of your inner house is warmed by the reality of grace so that every corner of your life Is actually grace giving, right? You guys remember that? You're all doing okay this morning? Turn to the person next to you and say, This is gonna be fun. It's gonna be fun. Tell the person on the other side, I really like your shirt. Come on, just just have a little fun with me. Now we're ending, all right? We've been through this journey all along, and uh, some people on the end. I really like your shirt, invisible person. Um, uh, it, we're ending this series with the last phrase in the, in, the, in the prayer, okay? So check it out, verse 13, follow along with me. If you've grown up in church, maybe you've heard this uh, phrase a hundred times. Let's figure out what God wants us to understand about communication with Him. He says this, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's ask the Lord to speak to us this morning and then we'll start to unpack this. God, I pray that this morning that you would give us discernment. Turn the light on for every one of us. Lord, as we share some things that are truly life transforming, I pray that you enable me by your grace to communicate them well and that you enable each of us by your grace to experience these truths inwardly. Not just know them intellectually, but experience them inwardly. We open our heart to that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, life is full of pictures. Life is full of, uh, you know, different pictures of reality. And one of the pictures I want to use today is the story of a young man named Brian McBean. Uh, Brian, in 2008, was a Royal Marine for the UK in Afghanistan, fighting with coalition forces in Afghanistan. You know, and uh, he talks about in his journals, if you ever follow this young man, he's a pretty outstanding man in many respects But he talks about in his journals uh, all the boring days in Afghanistan where he was doing hardly nothing. You know, just kind of going through the motions, doing routine things. There was one particular day that marked him... Forever, And I want to give you just uh, some background on that and let him share it from his perspective. Here's what he said. Uh, We were sent to clear a compound, an old Afghani house, and to check if there were no Taliban or mines there. We were running across a football pitch-sized area from our vehicle towards the doorway when uh, we were halfway across, there was this bang, not even a boom, my ears didn't even pop. I closed my eyes and when I opened them again, I was upside down and falling back towards the ground. I must have been blown about 20 feet Hi, I landed on the floor and thought, "Oh man, I'm involved in this." I went to sit up and I saw my whole shin bone sticking out, with no foot at the end of my right leg. Even before I saw it, I knew there had been damage because I could have, I could feel one half was a lot lighter than the other when I sat up. On my leg, my knee was coming off. The pain was horrendous. I can't even describe it. You just have to go through it yourself. Rather not. And it's not just the pain. Obviously, I'd never seen the inside of my body before. There was meat everywhere. I mean, how raw these, this illustration is. My mind was telling me that I was dead. I couldn't see further than my weapon because there was a massive dust cloud. I was breathing heavily, half screaming, half mumbling. Then I realized that my leg was not going to grow back and my career was over, everything hit me in that one second. I wasn't ready for it. I started to crawl to where the other guys were, and that's when I noticed I had a hole in my forearm, and my left arm was pretty much wrapped around my neck. When I squeezed it, it was all gooey, and I knew that it was dead too. One of the guys had a load of shrapnel in his back, and another had it in his neck and face, but I was the worst off. Walking through a field in Afghanistan, Brian McBean stepped on what's Commonly known as an IED, improvised explosive device. And uh, unfortunately, this is not a rare occurrence in war, specifically in Afghanistan. Uh, You know, if this happened in your backyard, it would be pretty shocking, wouldn't it? I mean, if it happened on your way out of here, God forbid, you know, that would be pretty shocking. But the fact that it happens in Afghanistan is not that surprising. In fact, uh, 60%, they say, of injuries or deaths that occur to coalition forces are from these IEDs, improvised explosive devices. So what happens is the Taliban and other you know, uh, you know, terrorist organizations, people in Afghanistan who don't like the western presence of these soldiers, sneak in at night to areas where they think these soldiers will walk in the daytime, and they then plant bombs underneath the ground and they just put them slightly under the surface. Now, it's not like the movies. Like when you step on it, it goes click, but it doesn't explode. That's not the way it actually works. In real life, generally, they explode the moment that you step on them. And so Brian McBean stepped on one of these and literally he he survived miraculously, but his life was forever completely changed. Have you ever stepped on an improvised explosive device? Probably not. See, I want to use that illustration to try to unpack for you the beginning of what Jesus is trying to imply to us through this prayer and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Many of us have operated in our religious context in a way that is not accurate with reality. Let me try to explain that. You think that coming to God... And serving God and coming to church and giving money and reading the Bible puts you in a position where life is going to be butterflies and sunshine. We think that God is going to make everything happy and good and, you know, that life is going to have a simplicity and a rhythm to it. We think that following Christ means that everything's going to work out great. But the scripture again and again and again describes a very different reality. You need to hear this this morning. It describes a reality by which... This life is actually a war zone. That this life is a place of tension. That this life is a place where two forces are colliding and you and I find ourselves in the middle of it again and again and again. Jesus explains to us in the scriptures that this life is a life of battle physically, mentally, emotionally, and first and foremost, spiritually. And so does God want to bless you, help you, heal you, love you? He does, but not everything on planet Earth wants that for you. And so the scripture describes three enemies. And people balk at this and say, "Oh, that's ridiculous. And the three enemies, let me briefly describe them for you that the Bible describes is first the darkness that you don't see. What I mean by that is that there are spiritual forces in this world, demonic forces that you and I don't fully understand and most of us have never seen or experienced personally in a one-on-one relationship, but we know that these things are real. Again and again and again, Scripture describes these dark forces. Forces that try to influence the way you think. Forces that try to influence the way that you feel. Forces that try to influence your health and your future. There are dark, demonic forces that do not want your best. And the moment that you turn to Christ, the Scripture says that you've made enemies with all of those spiritual forces. But that's not all. There's also the darkness that you can see. There's a broken and crooked world system. It's the world system that's based on pride and selfishness and lust and greed. It's a system that produces rape and injustice and sin of all various kinds. It's a broken system. Now the people in that system are not the enemy. The people in that system are blinded to the reality of the truth and the people in that system need to be redeemed and rescued from this broken worldview. But it's all around you pervading your interactions. That's not all you have to worry about. This is great news. Aren't you glad you came to church? You also have a darkness within you. You have something in you that's crooked. Something in you that's twisted. Something in you that you've been justifying for a number of years. Something in you that you've gotten good at saying is not a big deal when you know that it is a big deal. Something in you called sin. And that something in you pulls you into a place of darkness and gives you a propensity to do things that are destructive to you and to the people around you. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. No, I don't. Yes, you do. And yours is pride. Yes, you do. Every one of us does. And so the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the good news that we talk about here every single week and magnify Christ every single week, this good news is actually the solution to all the darkness of this world. See, the Bible says that even though we don't understand all these demons and if you don't understand all the things that they are or all the things that they do, we don't need to understand them because the scripture says that Jesus Christ has conquered them and us for all time identified with Christ have the victory over them. So though I don't discern or understand how all of these principalities or powers work, I have an inward confidence that Christ has already won a permanent victory for me over these forces and they have no legal jurisdiction to attack or bother me. See, the functional brokenness of this world doesn't need to stay that way. Because of Christ's redemption and forgiveness, you and I can be agents of transformation in a broken world and see regeneration come to cities and regions in Jesus' name. See, the darkness inside of you doesn't need to dominate you. Because Christ died, you are identified with Christ on the cross. And that identification gives you access to his holiness. And so his holiness is credited to your account. And through the process of sanctification, you have the potential in Christ to be free from every bondage. Isn't that great? I mean, that's good news. And so all three of these realities, God has given us victory over. Hold on. Did you ever pause and think about the awkwardness of this phrase in prayer? Lead us not into temptation. Does God have a habit of leading people into temptation? I mean, does anyone else find that phrase mildly awkward? Like, would a holy, perfect God lead us into temptation? And if he wouldn't, why would I ask him not to? Does God draw people into their temptations? Does he lure you and entice you into sin? Is that the type of God we serve? I mean, if God is our father and the paradigm in which we're supposed to interact with him is through the lens of father, isn't it a little awkward that the father would draw you into temptation and sin? I mean, hold on a second. I'm a dad. I've got three kids. I would never in any circumstances draw my kids into rebellion towards me, right? So what's going on here? Well, James chapter 1 gives us a little bit of light on this issue of temptation. Stay with me and check this out. James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life, which God has promised those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. This is crucial for you to understand. Trial is a part of life. God permits it, and it's the way in which he advances his kingdom. And so through trial, we labor to see his kingdom come. It's not going to be easy to see a city transformed with God's love. It's not going to be easy to have a godly marriage that honors Jesus. It's not going to be easy to raise godly children or to stay pure in college. None of these things are going to be easy, but the trial of these things push God's kingdom forward in a dark world and sharpen your character, God's allowed trial. What he doesn't do is tempt you in the trial. The temptation in the trial comes from something inside of you. You notice that phrase that James used, his own desire, right? His own desire. Did you ever realize that you have an own desire? You have something. Now, for each of us, it's something different. But there's something inside of you, I want you to see this today, there's something inside of you, that if put in the right circumstances, that if put under the right amount of pressure, you have the propensity to forget who you are and fall apart. I don't know if you've ever been, like, I remember years ago my my parents took me on a cruise. And uh, this, this week that I was on the cruise, I spent with these particular kids that I just met on the cruise. You know, I was a teenager at the time. And these kids were not, I had just recently met Jesus. And um, some funny stories about that cruise we don't need to get into today. But uh, I had just recently met Jesus trying to live my faith, you know, as a follower of Christ. And, and, uh, and I'm hanging out with these kids. And literally after one week, I didn't fall into any terrible sin or rebel against God. But after one week, I, I felt like I, just being around these people for one week, I felt like I forgot who I was that ever happened to you before? Where under certain circumstances you find yourself forgetting who you are. Your struggle might be a sexual temptation that you know God has said this is not the way it's supposed to be but everything inside you says this is what I want and you've tried everything to try to stop yourself and you consistently find yourself enslaved. Your own desire might be this propensity towards gossip and you want to hold your tongue and not say, but there's something that you feel important when you tear someone else down and so you find yourself using Christian phrases to justify your sin. Oh, pray for that person. They're really jacked up. Let me tell you about it. I don't know what your propensity is. Maybe you get a thrill from gambling and you know that you shouldn't do it because you don't have the money and you can't do that and it's not honoring God with your funds and yet something inside you gets so excited when you just start to do it so you just, I got just one more, I just have to try. I don't know what your propensity is. Maybe your propensity is one to anxiety and fear and put under the right circumstances, you will cower and not trust any of the promises of God and find yourself timid and afraid and enclosed within yourself. I will tell you that it's own sin. What's yours? You don't have to shout it out. Like, I'm lost, mine's lost. You don't have to do that. But you have your own sin. Yes, you do. And until you realize that you do, you can't properly interact with God. Because you'll deceive yourself into thinking that you're strong enough to stay with him on your own. And you're not. Charles Spurgeon, one of the great preachers, said, To know oneself to be foolish is to stand upon the doorstep of the temple of wisdom. You know inwardly that there's something that you can't control. Spurgeon later called it uh, the sacred self-suspicion. That you have a sacred self-suspicion that you are prone to wander. You can tell the person next to you, you're prone to wander. Stop wandering right now. There you go. In In the Old Testament, there's a story of a man named Esau. You may not know it because he cut himself out of the important club. Esau was the firstborn son of Isaac who was happened to be the son of Of Abraham who God gave the promise that through his family he would bring the Messiah and save the world. Kind of a big deal. And Esau was the oldest son of which the promise would be passed on to him. He would receive a double portion from his brother and be given the name that was passed down from generation to generation. And so Esau had a very important role. He was a hunter. And one day Esau came out of the woods. This is one of the stories in scripture. He came out of the woods so hungry and exhausted. You know what his own desire was? A stinking... Lentil soup. That was his desire. I mean, lentils, lentil soup wasn't even a five-guys burger. It was lentil soup. And he comes out of the woods and he's starving and his brother is making lentil soup. And he says to him, hey, do you think I could have some of that disgusting lentil soup? And he says, well, you can if you give me your rights as a firstborn son. And he says, well, I'm going to die. I'm so hungry. What does it matter? Give it to me. And this man was Foolish enough to trade his inheritance for a bowl of soup. And so are you. So are you. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Lead me not into temptation is a prayer to God. Saying, God... I know that you'll bring me into trials but when the temptation comes from the world, the flesh or the devil when that temptation comes would you lead me over it or around it or blast me through it but help me not to sit down in it. Lead me not into that temptation because I can't handle it. Lead me not into temptation is a humble prayer acknowledging your own weakness. But it doesn't end there. He finishes with the phrase and deliver us from evil. Now, this is important, okay? Because there's something implied in these two phrases, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil that I want to highlight this morning. And the implication is this. Why would God ask you to pray to keep you from temptation and deliver you from evil unless He was fully willing and fully able to completely deliver? See, this prayer is a prayer of faith. This prayer is a prayer built on an understanding of God's nature. That God is a God who does free people. God is a God who will meet you in your temptation. God is a God who's stronger than anything that would come against you and draw you away from him. Look at a few scriptures with me. And some of you guys need to write these on your forehead. First Corinthians chapter 10. It says, no temptation is overtaking that's not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you. You need to circle those words. Highlight those words. Do whatever you do in your Bible. Do a little dance around those words. Be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Romans chapter 6 says, for sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law but under grace. There's a new jurisdiction. You're under grace through Christ. It doesn't have any dominion over you. In the area of demonic bondage Luke chapter 10 says, behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. That's for you. Nothing shall hurt you is what he says. 2 Thessalonians 3 3 says the Lord is faithful. He'll establish you and guard you against the evil one. 1 Peter chapter 1, the NIV translation who's speaking of Christians says who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to reveal in the last time. Did you catch that? You're shielded by God's power how? That's not a trick question, it's right in the scripture. You're shielded by God's power through faith. Through faith, through faith. So what we see here is that this prayer is first an expression of our own brokenness. It's an expression of your propensity to be deceived. It's an expression of your inability to keep your eyes open. You know, the longer I walk with God and the more mature I grow in Christ, the more aware I become of the futility of my ability to keep myself in His grace. I do. I I become aware of the fact that, God, if you don't walk with me now, I am a fool and I can't do it. Guard me. Keep me. And it's that brokenness mingled with this confidence that you are a God who actually does protect That you are a God who actually can set free. That you are a God who gives me the power to remain in holiness. It's your will that I stay pure. And so effective prayer between God and you is this conversation that says, God, you know I'm weak in these areas, fill in the blanks. God, you know I'm weak in this particular situation, fill in the blanks. God, you know I'm going to be at work, and there's that other person at work that is a temptation. Now, God, I need help in that moment. God, you know that I could just be mildly deceptive about this business deal and make three times the amount of money, somebody. And I know that I want to do it because I long to buy that new thing. But God, in the midst of that moment, would you keep me from doing it because it's unjust and wrong? God, you know I have the potential to completely ignore my kids and pretend like I don't care about them at all because I'm so busy on my Facebook or on my Instagram or painting my house or fixing my stuff that I can leave them in the corner and shout at them and put TV on for nine hours a day. But that's not who I'm called to be. Would you lead me far from temptation? Temptation. God, you know I love to hoard this money and I can store it up for weeks and months and I can get so much in the bank and I can feel secure in that and you know that that's my temptation, God, and I like that security. Would you lead me from that temptation, God? And then you mix with that humility and that brokenness. I have an assurance and a confidence that you will deliver me, that you'll keep me. You'll keep me good preaching huh praise Jesus it's his word I want to zoom out for a second today I want to zoom out for a second and I want you to see the beauty of the Lord's Prayer because we've covered every aspect of the Lord's Prayer and today if you and I can catch a glimpse and I want to try to paint this for you you're going to hear some stuff I've already said in previous weeks but I want to I want you to see it now in context okay Because if you can catch a glimpse of this, as I studied this passage and as I concluded my time in the Lord's Prayer, this simple truth that I want to try to get to today started coming out of all the different things that we've covered. And as I began to see it, I realized the simplicity and the beauty of it. And I realized how transformative this truth is. See the full vision of the Lord's Prayer today. And so we started with this idea of our Father. And remember I said in that passage, if you remember, five weeks ago I said that your identity is tied to the words of your Father. Whether you realize it or like it or not, your identity is tied to what He said over you. And the only way to supersede that false identity is to hear the words of your Father in heaven. And as you hear His words of acceptance, forgiveness, and adoption, you find identity. And once you've discovered who you are in Christ, and daily, weekly, and moment by moment, apply that reality to your life now, a holy confidence and an interaction with God that is biblical starts to arise. So I interact with God Not primarily as my judge, my king, my lord. He is all those things. But my first relationship to him is dad. And so I interact with God as father. And I say your name is great. Your name is great. And as I begin my prayer paradigm with that reality. Then I add to it the fact that God has called me to be his partner. Right? That you're not in a passive position, but God has put you on this planet to bring heaven to earth. And so your mission here is to pray prayers that activate heavenly realities and transpose them to earthly realities, right? And so you begin to pray circling those things that are unjust, God, that sickness, God, that person that doesn't know Christ, God, that injustice, God, that, you know, sin, and begin to circle those things and say your kingdom come into that situation. So you pray active, huge prayers of faith, asking God specifically to come with his kingdom in those areas and then you express your dependence on him for everything because you can't breathe without him. And so you acknowledge that dependence by saying give me this day, my daily bread. I can't breathe without you. I feed off the truth of the gospel. Would you feed me today oh God I need to feed off you I can't breathe for five seconds without you and then you say God I don't have a right any longer to hold a grudge against anyone in any circumstances because you've not held a grudge against me from the time I was born to the time I died. You've washed me of all of my sin and all of my wickedness. I'm blameless before you in love and because you've fully forgiven me, I fully and completely forgive anyone that's wronged me. Forgive me of my debts as I forgive those who sin against me. God, I'm aware of the fact that I have the propensity to walk away from you if I am not guarded by your grace. Lead me not into temptation but I'm also fully confident of the fact that you are my protector and my deliverer, my shield. Would you then deliver me from evil. See this prayer that we just prayed, this prayer that we just walked through, is where God's been trying to get us all along. Stay with this idea. It's where God's been trying to get us all along. This is why in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul uses this phrase. Check it out. He says, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. It's always triumphal Procession. What about when I'm in jail? Triumphal procession. What about when I don't have enough? Triumphal procession. There's something in my interactions with God where God always, this is where Paul lived. Always leads us in triumphal procession. He said another way in Romans 8, he said, But in all of these things, we are more than conquerors. Conquerors are people that take over an area. We're more than that. We're hyper conquerors. We are fully taking over in Jesus' name. Isaiah said it about the new covenant. He said, No weapon that is formed against you shall succeed. In other words, he's saying there's a covenant that's coming. Stay with us. There's a covenant that's coming to anyone who will believe in their interactions with God that puts them in a place of consistent triumph, consistent procession of triumph, consistent conquering, consistent success, not for the attacks, but for the believer. What I'm trying to press on you today and what the Lord opened my eyes to is that this prayer, the map of the Lord's prayer, opens the route to a life of sustained victory. I said that the map of the Lord's Prayer is not just a mantra to be repeated again and again. It's not just phrases that you should memorize because it's nice in Sunday school. It is a map that enables you to travel a route of interactions with God by which you and I have the ability to live a life of inward sustained victory because we're accurately interacting with the God of the universe. I'm not sure if you got it. This prayer that we've been talking about for five weeks now, by God's grace, when applied, the paradigm of the prayer opens up for you consistent, sustained victory in Jesus. I still don't think you got it. Let's try this. There weren't always highways in America. Okay? Somebody say amen. It's true. There weren't always highways. There was a day in the in the history of the United States where highways, uh, you know, did not exist. Uh, it was a pain in the neck. And so 1930s, 40s, cars had existed, but the interstate system had not yet been constructed. And so, you know, interstates were not created. And so there was interstates here and there, but most of the time, if you had to travel a long distance, you had to zigzag all through creation. So to get from here to California, you were up, down, left, right, back, forth. If you wanted to get down from Maine, you know, to Florida, you had to, you couldn't just hug the coast. There wasn't one route. There wasn't one consistent route. It moved all over the place. And this was the reality. Generations, people couldn't communicate effectively. Goods and service couldn't be transferred effectively until... God gave someone a vision. Dwight Eisenhower, President of the United States, in 1956 signed the Federal Aid Highway Act where he allocated 25 billion dollars to build 41,000 miles of interstate. And he literally with his men of and women of, you know, that knew this stuff, built a system by which America could could interact from coast to coast, from north to south. And so they had this vision. They said, we're going to connect everyone. Goods and services will easily be transferred. You know, ideas and commerce can go back and forth. Technology can easily be transferred. And we believe that this system is going to create a massive explosion in communication and interaction. So we're willing to set the $25 billion aside for this project because we think that it's going to transform the communication systems of our nation. Now, interestingly enough, if you like history, Eisenhower didn't come up with this idea on his own. This wasn't an original thought. If you know your history, you know that he was also the military commander during World War II. And he had, for many, many years in this battle of of, World War II, spent time all across Europe, specifically in Germany. And in Germany, Eisenhower saw the beauty and the effectiveness of the German Audubon. He saw that the Germans had built a highway that could literally go anywhere across the nation quickly, fast commerce, effective communication. Things happened easily and quickly. No stopping, no zigzagging right from location to location because it had been built with a strategy to connect the entire nation. And he saw the effectiveness of this style of communication and travel that he realized if he could just transfer what he saw there, here, it would change the way that we interact as a nation. The person that wrote this prayer, the person that built this map for us, has some prior experience. See, he wasn't the one, somebody just got it, he wasn't the one, just a carpenter from Nazareth. That was, 33 years of life was not his past experience See, he had some other experience. See, in fact, he was the only one that didn't come from the earth. He was the only one that came from heaven. And this particular individual, Jesus of Nazareth, had communed with God for all eternity in unbroken, consistent, clean communication. He knew what it was like to live in the place of triumphal procession. He knew what it was like to live in the place of habitual victory in God. He knew what it was like to travel the highways. In other words, he was saying, hey listen I've been to the Audubon I've gone at no speed limit before and I know what the map looks like. I've seen how it works in the country of heaven and I'm going to take that thing and I'm going to plant it right here in the country of earth and if you would just follow this map you could build for yourself a highway that would put you in perpetual victory in christ why are you not clapping why are you not standing you got to believe this today what i'm telling you today is that god has given you the opportunity to live in consistent victory with him if you interact with him based upon the paradigm that he has established now does that mean you're never going to have a problem yes No, it doesn't mean that you're never going to have a problem. You guys can come out, we're going to sing in just a second. What it does mean is that if you trust in Christ, the problem can never have you. That it gives you the opportunity to elevate above circumstance and live from an inward certainty that's already established through the cross. What it tells us is that in Christ, you have dominion over those circumstances. That's what it tells us. What it tells us is that in Christ, you can supersede those circumstances. See, what does it look like to pray, you know, lead me not into temptation and deliver me from the evil one. It's kind of like how the military now, that was 2008 that Brian McBean lost his leg. But the military now realizes that IEDs are all over Afghanistan. And so instead they have these metal detectors that they send out about a quarter mile ahead of all the troops. And the metal detectors sweep the area to make sure that there's no IEDs. And they've limited the number of explosive interactions because they've found a way to detect them. So when I pray, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil, what I'm doing is I'm saying, God, would you send your angels ahead of me? Would you take your metal detectors and sweep my path today? And would you see ahead of where I am? And would you detect for me where those improvised explosive devices are? And would you keep me on a path far from them? Sustained victory. Stand your feet with me this morning. Sustained victory in Christ. Friend, are there going to be casualties? Yes. Yeah, there's going to be casualties. Are there going to be ambushes? Yes, there's going to be ambushes. Are there going to be things that you don't understand? Friend, I explained that this is war, that there is a spiritual war going on, and we have the confirmation of victory in the cross, but we also have the reality of battle today. And so, yes, there's a tension. I've used the illustration before. You know, on D-Day, World War II, everyone knew. The whole Western armies knew that if we could just take the beaches on D-Day, we had secured victory was absolutely secure in world war ii and yet after d-day not everybody surrendered the allies took the beaches and yet still there was battle in fact more people died between d-day and v-day than any other time in the war and that was the time where that victory was secured friend we live in that tension today christ has already secured the victory for us on the cross he already took the beach and yet we live amongst the tension of a battle that still rages yes So how do you keep effective communication between you and your command? person on a stage but they would be truth that would penetrate into the core of who we are holy spirit i welcome you right now to speak to us even as we worship and let these truths move from a mental ascent to an inward reality that we would learn to communicate with you in such a way that we are always led in triumph If God is using this ministry in your life, we would love to hear from you. Email us at mystory@ourcitychurch.org. For more information about the church, visit www.ourcitychurch.org.